0: And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Good morning. The uh, second passage comes from Romans 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say... We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things, and yet you do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you, do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jews first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Could you wash that for me? Thank you. Okay. Good morning. good morning. It is good to be here. And uh, excuse the tie. Uh, I don't usually wear a tie uh, here at this service. But um, two things. One is it's, it's red and it's Pentecost. So uh, I'm wearing red for Pentecost today. And secondly, uh, I'm, we're going to Scotland on Tuesday. And so i got to wear my, my uh, tartan here. So this is the Campbell tartan. Oh, no, the McDonald tartan. I'm half Campbell, half McDonald, so, um <clears throat> so you'll have to excuse the formality. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We are grateful, Lord, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you came on Pentecost. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to discover what Pentecost might mean for us, not just as an event that happened a long time ago, uh, a crazy event, but um, that you might help us to understand how, what Pentecost is supposed to mean for us today and how maybe even in this moment we may sense the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we would pray for this, O Lord, uh, through your grace and your mercy, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, at the beginning of this week, the baseball world spent probably too much time discussing, analyzing, and replaying over and over again an incident that took place between the Washington Nationals and the San Francisco Giants. The pitcher for the Giants, Hunter Strickland, was facing the super, superstar hitter from the Nationals, Bryce Harper. The last time these two players faced each other had been in a playoff game three seasons ago when Bryce Harper launched a home run off of pitcher Strickland. Now, there was something about this home run that, and its timing, and perhaps Hunter's admiration, Harper's admiration and celebration of it, that stuck in the pitcher Strickland's craw. It pushed his button, and he never forgot So the next time the two of these guys faced each other, three years later, at the beginning of this week, Hunter Strickland made sure that Bryce Harper knew that he had not forgotten. And so he drilled the hitter with a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Now, there's something about that 98-mile-per-hour fastball drilled into the right hip that pushed Bryce Harper's button, and before he knew it, he was charging the mound, throwing his helmet, and engaging in a slugfest with the pitcher. Benches cleared, and we had ourselves a good old Donnybrook, a time-honored baseball tradition. There is nothing like getting your button pushed. We all have a button, don't we? And probably more than just one button. We all have that spot, that nerve, that peeve in our psyche that all it takes is for someone to put their finger on it and watch out. Not that we're a slugfest waiting to happen, but, but we're all vulnerable to those little things that a person can do to send us into orbit or into a rage or into a silent brooding that can last years. Some of us have particular people who have earned an advanced degree in pushing our buttons. I don't know what it is about that guy. We say to ourselves, he really pushes my button." Sometimes it takes a particular person doing a particular thing that pushes that particular button, and our blood pressure rises, and it takes days for it to come back down again. Now, if you've listened to me preach for any length of time, you know how much I loved and admired my father. But he had a way sometimes of pushing my button, and there was no better place for this to happen than on the golf course. Now, I'm a really bad golfer. But my father is maybe, was maybe just as bad, if not worse, than me. I came by my game, honestly. But it never failed that when we played together, he felt it his fatherly duty to give me some golf tips. Nice. Little suggestions on how I can improve my game or why I just hit the ball in the water talk about the blind leading the blind, and of course, every little tip made me madder and madder, which of course made me worse and worse, which of course is probably what he was trying to do the whole time, his whole strategy to win the golf match, and it worked. You know, Steve, you might want to just just, adjust your grip, just just a little bit, you know, and and your stance, watch your stance. (sighs) Drove me nuts. So we have these little raw nerves scattered about our souls and our psyches and for reasons beyond our ability to understand, they can, when touched, set us off into directions and behaviors of which we are not proud. So set this reality then against the words that the Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul talks about the Christian life and he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it's possible so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when I think of the buttons I have, and when I think of how they can send me into my own little Donny Brooks with myself and with others, and when I think of how easy it is for me to write people off, or seize with my own anger, or grow impatient with that person who has their fingers square on my little button, and then I hear from the Apostle Paul, about this life that Jesus calls me into, this life of blessing and not cursing, living in harmony, not claiming to be wiser than I am, not repaying anyone evil for evil, not avenging, living peaceably with all, the apostle says. I feel this need when I hear these words to throw up my hands and say, Not gonna happen. Too many buttons, too many unresolved issues, too many pet peeves, too many blind spots, too too short of a temper, too many insecurities, I say to myself, and I wonder if maybe you might feel the same way. I wonder if you wonder to yourself, how is this really going to work? These buttons I have and this calling to live into this life that the Apostle Paul calls us into, because we all have our stuff, right? Well, I think and I wonder if that isn't where Pentecost comes in. You know, we have this day in the Christian year. It happens right at the end of spring, right as we're going into summer. Just as everybody's setting off on their, on their summer vacations, we get to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is sort of one of those underappreciated holidays of the Christian year because nobody's around for it. Um, but it's a strange day when the disciples, no strangers to unresolved issues and buttons themselves, who were together in one place and someone called the Holy Spirit came and filled the room and filled their souls and miraculously changed them such that they were they were able to become different people with different attitudes and different ways of engaging and different ways of relating and different ways of dealing with their own stuff. The Holy Spirit did not make them into perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, but she was a spirit who seeped into the cracks of their souls and brought healing to some of their raw nerves and empowered them to live less under the control of their buttons and led them to speak literally in a new way to the world. Pentecost was this birth of a new community of souls who were being shaped and healed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to become people who were less enslaved to their baggage, to their stuff, to their buttons, to their emotions, to their anger to their unresolved issues, and instead were freed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to become a new way of life for a world that was desperate for a new way of life. Do not judge. Forgive 70 times 7. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Live peaceably with all. Do not not claim to be wiser than you are. And Pentecost is here to say that we cannot do this. We cannot do this. We cannot do this except by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this except by the daily indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whose work it is to heal the raw nerves, to sort through the baggage, to temper the unbridled and unchecked and unhealthy emotion, to wipe clean the guilt, and to free us from that tightly held anger and bitterness. This is how God heals the world. God heals the world through healing his people one person at a time. God heals you and me so that we can begin healing the world by living like people who are being healed. So every day, post-Pentecost, it is this conversation with the Holy Spirit. Every day, it is this question, what healing do you have for me today? What must I do to keep those buttons from being pushed? Should I see a therapist? Should I stop drinking? Should I write a letter of apology that on um, that long-due letter of apology? Should I should I balance out my life? Should I live with less stress? Should I take more vacations? Should I let you finally forgive me? Should I go out and serve the poor? We each have our own buttons, and we each have our own wounds, and we all have the sweet person of the Holy Spirit yearning to dwell inside of us and move us into a healing way. For most of his life, and certainly his entire adult life, C.S. Lewis, that's C.S. Lewis, carried with him an unhealed wound, the unresolved bitterness toward a headmaster of the school where he attended as a child. The man was a tyrant, mentally unstable, cruel, vindictive, and he was Lewis's headmaster, and it brought him great pleasure to beat and whip and humiliate his students, including the young C.S. Lewis. It was a season of his life and of his education. He couldn't quite get himself over but post his own conversion Lewis would not give up on this he knew that it meant that the Holy Spirit had more work to do the less he was able to forgive and every time he thought he had forgiven the long dead headmaster he realized he hadn't forgiven him so every day it was the prayer Holy Spirit dwell within heal my wounds and cause me to forgive and it wasn't until the last summer of his life fifty years when he could finally write a friend and say do you know only a few weeks ago I realized suddenly that I had last forgiven the the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my childhood I've been trying to do it for years and like you each time I thought I'd done it I found after a week or so it had." we had had to be attempted over and over again. But this time, I feel sure it is the real thing. And like learning to swim or ride a bicycle, the moment it happens, it seems so easy, you wonder why on earth you didn't do it years ago. You see, we all have these buttons. We all have these wounds, our resentments, our bitternesses, our raw nerves. Come, Holy Spirit, come I cannot do this on my own. I cannot heal myself. I cannot think myself into a better way of being. I cannot change unless you change me. A couple of days before my college graduation, a few of us soon to be graduates had decided, I went to school up in Pennsylvania, up near Pittsburgh. A few of us had decided to drive down to Pittsburgh to see the Pittsburgh Pirates play they did play baseball back then when i graduated from college and we had invited to go with us to uh this game a fellow by the name of chuck Donnelly who was the custodian for the dormitory where we lived in college chuck had become a good friend to all of us and he was sort of like a dad for us as we were away from our own dads and Chuck himself was a grandfather and we told him to invite along with him his seven-year-old grandson to join us for this baseball game. So we arranged a time where we would go and pick him up at his home and that he and his grandson would come with us to the game. Well, as these things sometimes go, plans kind of fell through at the last minute and fewer and fewer people could go and at the end we decided to bag the trip. Well, it was my responsibility to tell Chuck, but I didn't. I forgot. And there, Chuck sat at home with his eagerly awaiting grandson. And nobody came. Nobody showed up. And the grandson was crushed. Note to self, never crush a grandfather's grandson. So the next day, the day before graduation, I run into Chuck on campus. And he lays into me, just rips me up one side and down the other. Quite justifiably, I had pushed his button. I had hurt his very own flesh and blood. He questioned whether I had learned anything decent while in my four years of, minist- while in my four years of college, he wondered why God had even called me into the ministry. And I never felt so small. And after Chuck let loose his last invective, he turned and walked away. And that was the last time I realized I was going to see him. Those were his last words to me. And that would be it. Next day would come, and we would graduate, and that would be it. Just anger, hurt, bitterness. So the next day did come, and we graduated, and we hugged our friends, and we made our way to our rooms, and we packed our last things, and we got ready to leave. And as I'm packing, my last few, as I'm packing up my last few things, who knocks on the door but Chuck? and in his hands, a graduation gift. And in his eyes, big, big tears. I couldn't live with myself, he said, if those were the last words you heard from me. I will miss you like a son. and I have already forgotten what's happened. For some, it takes 50 years. For others, it takes 50 hours. Every button has its time. Never, though, never, though, without the healing power of the Holy Spirit. For this is Pentecost. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, friends, this room is filled up with buttons. This room is filled up with wounds. This room is filled up with brokenness. This room is filled up with human beings who are chipped in cracked of, jars of clay. And yet we also believe that this room is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we believe that on Pentecost, long ago, the Holy Spirit came to be a living reality in this world. And Pentecost happens every day. Pentecost happens now when we open our lives up, when we come to this table and find here the gracious presence of Jesus, And find here the gracious presence of the Holy Spirit. Find here the healing that we yearn for. Find here the opportunity for us to live in a new way. So you are invited to come to this table and know that the Holy Spirit meets you here. And wishes to fill you so that you can become a new creation. So that you can bring peace into the world. The same peace you found with yourself and with those you love. So here are the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I have received with the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the same night in which he is betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, "'This cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again, and he will come again.'" Let us pray. We open our lives to you right now, O Lord. As we come to this table, we pray that we would come not with our Sunday best on, not with some kind of mask or some kind of veil by which un- past which we hide, but we come, O Lord, with our true selves, with the yearning for us to be engulfed by your Spirit, with the yearning to be met by your grace, and with the yearning to be made whole so that we can live in a new way in the world. So bless us, O Lord, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. So in way of instruction, if you are sitting on the wings on either side, if you would head to the back of the worship center and then come down the center aisle and then return. And all of us in the middle will just come down the center. So we'll come this way, return that way and I'd like to invite the servers to come forward so Jordan will be serving gluten free bread in the middle and Marianne and Dee will have the cup on each side and Steve and I will have the bread of life and now you may come forward how deep The Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son. Of